0: This podcast is published as part of MDA National's suite of digital media resources on things doctors wish they had known about specific medical specialty areas. Doctors for Doctors since 1925, MDA National is a member-owned mutual that exists to support and protect its members and promote good medical practice across Australia.
1: Hello, it's Norman Swan here. Welcome to another podcast where doctors in training share their experiences, tell us what drives them, why they enjoy what they do and what advice they might offer to junior doctors contemplating their career choices and preparing for their training schemes. You'll hear how they are often very conscious of the ethical and legal complexities of being a practicing doctor and how they deal with them. Eric Richmond came to Australia to train in medicine after being a paramedic in the United States. He's currently working in emergency medicine and intensive care in Queensland. What did he wish he'd known before he started his training?
0: Know the steps that are involved. When you finish medical school, you end up on this treadmill, and you can waste an awful lot of time and create a lot of heartache if you don't know the steps involved to get where you want to be. There are exams you need to take, there are tasks you have to accomplished. And those are well laid out, but not necessarily told to you. Learn the steps and set out for yourself how you plan to accomplish those
1: steps. Don't assume that they're going to be expressly told to you. What was the most surprising thing when you found those steps?
0: One hurdle I hit that I didn't expect is that within my college, there are workplace-based assessments. I misinterpreted the instructions and read it as there is a certain number you must accomplish per term being six months. In fact, there's a certain amount you need to have accomplished within any six-week block and within every three-month block and within every six-month block. And I front-loaded those workplace-based assessments. So while within the six months, I accomplished far more than I needed to, there then became a block where I didn't accomplish them. And my training got extended as a result. Then that came as a, quite a surprise. It's a bit like running a 5K race. And at 50 meters from the finish, they said, ah, uh, it's 5.5Ks now. Obviously,
1: you wish you had read your six-weekly assessment more clearly. <laughs> but let, yes. let's move also to the more clinical side of things. What do you wish you knew clinically before you started in emergency training? I wish I understood clinically that
0: it was okay not to know things. I spent a great deal of my junior doctor time faking it until you make it. You look like you know what you're doing and you demonstrate a certain amount of confidence, but without the competence to back it up. And then I would spend time back covering. That sounds dangerous. Well, not dangerous because I wouldn't act on it. But what I would say is, yes, I understand that thing. And then I would duck away and look it up very quickly. There is certainly the potential for it to be dangerous. Yes. But the ability to say, can you explain a bit more about this? Can you tell me something else? Was not something that I understood until I became more senior. So were the things that you did that you wish you hadn't done apart from that? I think the way I interacted with people demonstrated a lack of understanding. When I was a junior registrar, I would see people coming at me. I would refer a patient and get what can only be described as pushback. And I would see that as the person coming towards me from a position of anger. That wasn't their predominant emotion, but it was how I perceived it. So I reacted with what could best be described as you know, aggression or, or a negative emotion such as that, when in fact, I've come to understand that often when you get pushback from a patient, what they're coming back is either from a position of fear, if they don't know what's going on either, they don't want the patient up on the ward until they do, or a position of concern. They don't understand what's going on because you haven't explained it well enough. And so they're trying to get more information. I think there was a belief on my part that people were coming at me with a negative emotion, which was just a misinterpretation. The vast majority of people you deal with are coming at you with a very positive position. But we're all busy. We're all overworked. We're all under-resourced. And in the end, they have their own concerns that have nothing to do with the conversation
1: that you're having at the moment. It's hard when you're in a tough specialty, when your specialty is hard, and as you say, everybody's under stress, to thrive rather than survive. What's your recipe for thriving? So the recipe for thriving is to love what you do. I work
0: both emergency medicine and intensive care and the way you thrive is to look forward to work. I enjoy my job. I enjoy what I do, and I spend a lot of time paying attention to those aspects of my job that I enjoy, so I would encourage someone who wants to thrive to not just look at what's wrong, not to look at the problems, but also to look at why they chose the specialty they chose. Medicine is an incredible honor. It is an incredible privilege that we are given to be a part of someone's life when they need us and to help them this is our job so why are you in emergency medicine i'm in emergency medicine for a few reasons one is i adore chaos it is part of my personality (laughs) i love taking the chaotic and uncontrolled and establishing order in that situation i enjoy the variety i love the teamwork of emergency medicine and everyone's allowed to say hey have you considered this there's a breakdown of hierarchy in a very good way in emergency medicine, and it's a real
1: strength. So what do you do about looking after yourself?
0: So I do a few things. I do work, as I said, extended hours, but when I finish medicine and go home, I go home. I'm, I'm not a doctor when I'm at home. I am working on my house. I spend time with my children whenever I can, and I'm involved in the arts community. Most of my friends aren't in healthcare, and that gets me away from it. The other thing I do to take care of myself is I don't work all one area. I split my time between public and private. I split my time between intensive care and emergency medicine. And these are different realms and different environments.
1: Have you ever called for help from medical defense?
0: I have. I have. I've called for help a few times. What for? One of the, the first one was an error I made. I was in a rural facility as the only doctor. I'd been a doctor for 18 months and I had a woman come to me who was called by QML and said, you need to go to the hospital right now, and she came in, and when I looked at her, I thought, jeepers, who are you here to pick up? I'll go get your family member because she looked that well, and it turned out she had been having fevers. and They couldn't find the source, and she had a high white cell count and was looking very, very well. I admitted her because I didn't know what was going on, But she had no fevers, no obvious source of infection. She had no vital sign derangement. And in the morning, she left from the facility to her GP to go get a CAT scan. Several weeks later, I received a phone call. And it was a difficult experience. She turned out to have had bacterial endocarditis. And she was not showing symptoms because she was partially treated with oral antibiotics and she became catastrophically unwell. And what
1: was the advice you got? The
0: advice I got in that situation was emotion saving. So this was late at night, and I called up, and they were able to establish a file and let me know what was happening. In the end, the advice was quite interesting. It was that given that I had been on for so many hours, given that I was so junior, given that I was set up for it, this was an error, but it was not going to be career ending. And just that understanding that you make mistakes as a doctor, you miss things, and that I would be supported through it. In the end, I actually went to the intensive care unit that this woman was in. And I sat down with her and her husband and her son. And I talked to them. And, you know, went to glares and stares and left with a hug, knowing that I had someone in my corner in my medical defense
1: organization was vital. So what's your take home message for junior doctors listening to our conversation moving forward? So I would put it down to just
0: a few areas. The first is that if emergency medicine is something you think you want to do, come, let's have a conversation. Look up and learn the steps. Realize that it's okay not to know something and to ask for help and to learn from your mistakes. Understand the beauty of a well-formatted and well-formulated question. If you can form the question, you probably understand what's going on. Know that one of the beauties of emergency medicine is you get to go home and nobody's going to call you about your patient because they're not yours anymore. Take care of yourself, take care of your colleagues. This is a team sport. And if you don't love what you're doing, Do something else or find a way to do it. Medicine is a broad, broad tent. There's so much you can do. There's so many areas you can go into. Find that area of medicine that you love because it's such a rewarding career. Here to support you, visit MDA National's website at mdanational.com.au or call 1 800 011 255 for tailored advice specific to your medico legal situation, career stage, or policy. This podcast has been produced by MDA National to support our doctor members. The information provided is based on the personal experiences of the doctor speaker and does not constitute medico legal advice from or by MDA National.